to Buku from Dari Malut Kemalut. I'm Erin Cook. Thanks so much for coming back for round two. Today I speak with Maisara Aljaru. Now she is one of the co-editors of Brown is Redacted, reflecting on race in Singapore, a new anthology released by Singaporean publisher Ethos. I think before we start jumping into it with Maisara today, we need to be a bit explicit here about what race in Singapore means. I'm a white Western woman, as you can tell from my terrible Australian accent. And I know that a lot of the listeners are similarly from the West. So when we talk about race in Singapore, it is from a very, very different perspective. The majority race there is ethnically Chinese. So the conversation about minorities isn't in contrast to that of of a white population, which feels a bit silly to have to be explicit about but I think I have some residual frustrations from the international coverage of the release of Crazy Rich Asians uh, film adaptation a few years back and those reviews were very pleased to see you know non-white actors actresses centering a non-white story which is of course very very interesting but there was a lot of criticism of these reviews from within Singapore that said Effectively, this is the same as an American film featuring only white actors, which is an interesting um, and I think nuanced perspective that was not really uh, appreciated (laughs) by a lot of us here in the West. Singapore is, I think, probably world famous for uh, the consideration of race when it comes to social policy, probably most famously with uh, ethnic quotas in public housing but there's the there's the government policy and then there's the the reality and I'm very very grateful to my Sarah for being so generous with her time to talk to us today and to all the contributors of Brown is Redacted who have contributed excellent work that sheds a bit more light and really fleshes out that story. Redacted is unlike any other book I've read from Singapore because race is at the core of it. Uh, But it's also unlike any anthology I've read from anywhere because the seed of it comes from Brown His Haram, a play by Masara and her co-editor Christian Mark James Paul, staged at the substation, the independent arts centre in Singapore. So how did that work and how did that go from the stage to my Kindle? I think we do have... um some book based on stage productions. But for in the case of Brown is Redacted, it was based off a play that my co-editor and uh, performer, Kristen, and I did when we were doing our residency at the substation. He was looking into this idea of brown masculinity and I was looking into, you know, uh, social mobility for brown communities look like. You know, at the end of the, the whole residency, we had to create like a an exhibition or performance and it was up to us and we were like hey you know why not collaborate so that was how it started brown is um brown is was i guess the first time it was a small you know workshop because we had like covid restrictions you know and then when we we got invited by substation again to perform we were like okay let's take it further so Brown is Haram, I guess a second rendition, you could say, the, or the, the play that you can read in the book is definitely much more personal than the first one that, that we did. Yep. And it was a bigger team. We had, you know, um, you and our director, we had Alfian Sa'ad and Tini Aliman on board to help us to make a, like a proper production. Yeah, so that was fun. Yeah, so that's how Brown is Redacted started because after we did the play, we were like, okay, you know, we don't want a conversation to just limit to us, right? You want to like 
bring it out. So, and we knew that we wanted to expand the conversation on what brownness means in Singapore. So that's why we decided to, you know, um, decide to make a book. And I think Ethos, you know, for publisher has like very gracefully, you know, agreed to work with us. The range of perspectives represented in the anthology is really impressive. Um, I especially like the contributions from the young school-aged children, uh, the young Singaporeans. What's the process there? How did how did the team go about finding these voices? I think the process, you know, the first one, it took us, like, we had to sit down and discuss what, you know, individually what Bronner's meant to us, you know, what was what were the voices that were lacking, right, in the performance. So we wanted to expand on that. And we kind of, I guess we kind of tapped on our own network and resources and also got the help of publishers as well, you know, for certain contributors that we might not know personally. Right. Um, and then we also, I think what was fun, we had an open call for minorities under 18 because we wanted like a younger, you know, the younger generation, you know, to also show that these experiences that they are going through right now, we felt it or we are still going through it, you know, so things that haven't really changed. But it's also to allow that space that, hey, you know what, even if you're young, you know, because we had like one boy, I think it's like 11 or 12, he's interested in writing. So his piece got published and it was great because we also wanted the younger generation to feel like, hey, they can talk about it too, right? We don't want them to feel like, okay, you know, I have to keep silent about it. And then when they got older, they realized, oh, this is actually like a shared experience. So we also wanted to kind of start that, you know, like allow that conversation to, to grow among like young. Both Brownies Haram and Brownies Redacted made a huge splash in Singapore and, and definitely throughout the region as well. I've got a couple of friends who have worked their way through Brownies Redacted. How's the response been? There was a range of like good feedback as well, like, you know, debate about the term brownness, you know, which is, is much needed. And I think, you know, further down, I really hope that it progresses into deeper conversations as well, right? Of course, you know, that there are conversations revolving around, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's a book, there's no solutions. But we also hope that, you know, sometimes as people understand that being minorities, you know, being able to speak about your experiences is big enough. You can't always come up with solutions when you're experiencing it at the same time, you know, and we shouldn't, the onus shouldn't be on us to kind of like expand it or expand and like, hey, yeah, let's come up with solutions, you know, it's just, it doesn't always work that way, you know, I think this is the first step, I think it's the first good step, yeah, and I, I'm, I hope that, you know, personally, I hope that in, in the near future, we'll see more written works, or more, you know, works from like younger minorities as well. As an outsider, most of the books from Singapore that I'm familiar with deal with uh, kind of, the, you know, the PAP, Lee Kuan Yew's Legacy, um, or Raffles. So one of the reasons why I love this anthology so much is that it's the first time I've heard about a lot of these issues. Outside of Brown is Redacted, how does that conversation look in, in Singapore? I don't think conversations about race is necessarily new in Singapore. Maybe the terminologies that the younger generation or my generation use, you know, uh, may differ from the older generations. But I think the common lying, lying issues have always been there, has always been discussed. We, we speak in different tongues in that sense, right? And I definitely see the shift, right? Social media helps in that sense. You can't keep silent over things that people are talking about online. They, you know, if people are sharing their experience with racism online, there comes a point where um, I guess the authority can cannot be like, okay, we're going to ignore this, right? So you do see like documentaries on race come, popping up in mainstream media recently, uh, which is great, but definitely could have been better. Right, a lot of things are still like not like addressed, but I think it's a first good step to acknowledge that people are seeing this. I think it's a long process. Unfortunately, you can't change things like overnight, 
but having that conversation i think is is a very good start but i think you know moving forward more can definitely be done in the script for brown is haram uh gender and the cross section of gender and race is a is a major factor from both your perspective and Christians, how does that play out uh, throughout the anthology and how has that been received? Um, yeah, definitely. I think when Chris and I worked on the play, you know, the second rendition, we knew that we wanted to talk about gender, for sure, right? Because he is a, like a brown man in Singapore and my experience as a brown woman in Singapore differs. You know, that shared live realities, but it differs. And, and I think we wanted to highlight a lot of things that is happening within the community that people talk about, but has never really been, you know, put in, in this kind of form. I think being a brown woman working on this has been quite a fascinating experience. You know, a lot of honest conversations as friends with my co-editors. I think I'm very lucky in a sense like both of them are very self-aware. So there's like less labor to be done. Can I share an example? Yeah, so like I think when we were staging, or we were, I remember it was like one of the last few days of rehearsals, and Straits Times, like one of the papers, was talking about male feminists. It was International Women's Day or like a week or something like that. And they interviewed him because Chris does a lot of amazing work um, regarding like feminism. So um, what was funny was that in the article, which was written by a Chinese woman, in the last paragraph, he said, Oh, he's performing Brown is Haram. And there was no mention of me, even though I was half of Ron Isaram, right? So I found it funny. He was like, oh no, that's not. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, like we have a very good friendship to, I, to, for me to know he's not like that kind of person. But I thought it was quite funny, right? But it's also like a, I guess like a wake up call for both of us, right? Brown women still get erased in a lot of spaces, you know, as a Somali woman, like you, you just, sometimes, you know, you're, you, people like see you for your race or you just don't exist. Either, either or, right? And I think when, we were editing on putting together the anthology I was definitely conscious about that right do we have enough women on board do we have enough dark-skinned women on board because their experiences would differ you know with colorism and things like that in this country so I think we wanted to make sure that as much as possible um, even though we said that this is not an encyclopedia we wanted to as much as possible cover you know as many experiences and stories as we could yeah so that was I think important for me right because you don't want any form of erasure it's not just the variety of voices that gets me about about this anthology. It's also the the range in styles used. I loved the Q and A with Ashes Dead, uh, a young rapper in Singapore, which was fascinating. But I also really liked Hazira Mohammed's contribution about the racialization of public health and how that affects the the Malay community. Um, there's also some great poetry. There's there's a contribution that's a diary during the pandemic. Did you actively seek out that sort of variety? And how do you balance that in an anthology of this scope? We consciously wanted to to have that, right? Because it, I think academic essays are important to understand a certain issue, right? To understand a certain outreach that, or understand an outreach of, um, that, the com- that, you know, that is seen by another community that one might not understand. But we also wanted to have creative pieces because we didn't want to intellectualize every single thing. This is not like an academic journal, right? We wanted to make sure that people are able to express like what they want freely without feeling like, oh, you know, have to like have citations and this and that. Because I think a very big thing about racism is that people feel like they have to kind of intellectual intellectualize their experience and prove something, everything, which is very, very draining, right? So we wanted people to just share their experience without that burden of proof. 
A lot of the contributions are very, very personal. I think the, the one that struck me the most is Curry Corner from Prashant Somosundaram. And he writes about uh, coming of age as a young gay man and as a young gay man of colour and how that racialization of the queer community in Singapore has impacted him as he's, you know, trying to become an adult. I think it's a very open, very vulnerable piece. Other contributors take on national service or, or public health, like we discussed. Um, was it a deliberate move to take on these these very, very big topics? Yeah, I think we wanted to like make sure that, you know, we address things that are very like in your face, right? Obviously, talking about healthcare, talking about, I think, just identity in general, you know, state policies, various national service. But also, yeah, we, we, we wanted something that was also very personal. I think, you know, both pieces kind of, of have, have that. You know, I think we, we were quite happy with the range of pieces that we have. Although I feel like, oh, you know, we could do more, we could have asked more people. But yeah, I think what we had right now was, like, great. Brown is Redacted came together during the pandemic period. Um, and in Singapore, with uh, the migrant worker dormitory lockdowns, it seemed particularly racialized. Did that shape putting together the anthology? I think, you know, there's been quite a number of, like, incidents happening during the pandemic. Very blatant racist attacks, you know, racist remarks, you know, and that was something that I guess is, like, country has to address. But also, I think who, you know, in, in this idea of, like, pandemic and moving forward especially, who gets access to, like, living or going back to, like, normal or the new 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 COVID or new, new 2022 or, you know, whatever, right, people, people were saying. Because... At that moment, you had a community that was restrained, right? And this is a community that people were like, yes, they helped to build Singapore, but we don't want them out mixing and mingling with other people. We, we wanted to like highlight that. And it took, I guess, you know, it's something that people have been raising for quite a while, but it took, it took a pandemic for people to kind of see it, you know, to see the unfair treatment. You know, it's a, it's, it's a problem that I think we have to acknowledge in Singapore where we feel this sense of entitlement to, to the labour of people from the region. And that is what I think, I want, or at least, you know, personally, I hope to address, you know, in the book, which is, I think we also, me and Chris addressed it in the introduction, which is, you know, even when we talk about race, who has a seat in the table? Who has uh, the ability to talk about it? Because I do acknowledge my privilege in that sense. I can talk about it. Even if I get some sort of like backlash from people who don't agree, like they can't deport me, right? Whereas a migrant worker, there's always that risk. There's always that, that convention that the three of us had about, you know, how do we bring them on board to also highlight these stories that people don't necessarily like talk about, but it's important to highlight. Will I be able to order a Brownies Redacted Part 2 anytime soon? <laughs> I'm not sure if we haven't like talked about it. I think part of it is also, you know, you might want to like retreat and work on our own personal projects. You know, and it's not like, um, I'm not saying no, like Part 2 will not happen. But I think that is, I guess, to be seen, right? I think we also want to like take time to kind of reflect. Because this project has been going on for like, three years now I think two to three years now so we want to like take a step back and just reflect on the process reflect on what we have done you know reflect on what people have asked and see how far we have got I just want to thank my Sarah so much for making time to to have a chat about this book I cannot stress enough how much I loved it I carved out time in my planner to read it over three days um ended up reading it in the day just 
unable to stop really. <laughs> um, there is one line that really stood out to me that I thought would be great to, to kind of finish off this podcast with. And it's from Mal Yante's essay. So he was the director of Brown and Salaram. So he has a great piece in the, in the anthology looking at putting together the, the production. And he speaks, he writes at one point about the use of books as kind of like setting and, and props and both Christian and Masara refer to books in the script. And he writes, their last point was the solace of reading. Across their lives, they connected with fictional characters, had their worldview expanded, had recognised the ails of our society, all through reading. Because though reading's a solitary act, it is also an opportunity for community. Don't you love it? <laughs>